Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 384. Do whatever you can to respect the young people in the industry because it's going to come back to bite you in the ass. Like, honestly, you, you want to be a legend. Legends are built over fucking generations of people. Like, you got to make sure that you, you pay respect to everyone who's new and young and know that you were there too. And no matter how green they seem, you were just as green at one point. So it's like, help them out. Yeah. And, and we talk a lot about, you know, you, you hear about these people who seemingly overnight showed up and, and had success, but everybody, you know, seems to blur about the fact that, you know, here we are new restaurant owners, but there, there's a lot of years that have been put in by Colin and us um, beforehand that, that there's no such thing really as an overnight success, or at least they're few and far between, even though everything seems that way. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Who loves doing paperwork? No one. Sorcery is an efficient online AP automated solution for the food service industry and restaurants, large and small, are using Sorcery to provide a scalable solution to help them create efficiencies and ultimately grow their business while impacting their bottom line. To learn more, head to GetSorcery.com. That's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com. And be sure to mention Restaurant Unstoppable to get your first month free. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guests, Jefferson Macklin and Chef Colin Lynch. Colin Jefferson, are you two feeling unstoppable today? Oh, it's... (laughs) Yes. So at the helm with a combined 30 years of experience in hospitality uh, business, Colin and Heather Lynch, along with Jefferson Macklin, worked together at Barbara Lynch Grupo for eight years before realizing their dream of opening a restaurant of their own. All three share a passion for creating an amazing dining experience rooted in exceptional hospitality. Most recently, Colin was the executive chef for Barbara Lynch Grupo, while Jefferson served as the president and chief operating officer today. Colin, Heather, and Jefferson are the co-owners of Bar Mizana located in Boston's itself. And, and this is Jefferson's second time on the show. If you guys haven't caught that episode, it's episode 228. I recommend heading over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 228. Get caught up because today what we're going to do is we're going to kind of pick up where we left off. So uh, they were transitioning from the Barbara Lynch Grupo at that time. And it's been a year and a half crazy to think it's been a year and a half since Jefferson and I last talked and we're going to break it down like what's happened since then what their biggest struggles have been what their biggest lessons learned have been what they know to be true from this experience and I I can't wait and this my my first time that uh, we had a restaurant owner back on for the second time um, to really dive in and just to I don't know. I think you're the first person I've had to yeah. do this. So I'm excited, Jefferson. No, I am too. Uh, it's yeah, be great. And, and I'm psyched. <laughs> I know Colin wasn't able to join last time. So you'll, uh, you'll actually get the yeah. real details because so, I just talked <laughs> over them. <laughs> so I guess that was long winded, but uh, it needed some uh, explaining. So like always, we need to get that motivational, inspirational, ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. I don't know who wants to take it first. If you yeah, have two, if you want to share one. All right. Go for it. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, so I, I obviously have to start when when last we met. Um, 
Yeah. So when last we met, Eric, we were we were in Bar Mitzana, but it wasn't even Bar Mitzana yet. It was basically a, a concrete floor and a lot of uh, aluminum studs getting put up around the around the space. Right. Yeah, it was a, an awesome. Thank you, by the way, for that invitation out there. It was yeah. so cool. to Yeah, to see no that. worries. No worries. But um, yeah, so that was that was, um, you know, probably late winter, early spring um, of last year. And, mm-hmm. and so we stayed on budget and stayed on target for our opening date. And we ended up opening uh, June 1st. Wow. So uh, June 1st of 2016. So yeah, we've been ov- open uh, just over a year and a half now and um, are now profitable and have been profitable since since uh, the end of last summer. So that's huge. But, um, you know, it, it certainly was, I think the entire experience has continued to be humbling. You know, we we all stepped up with a ton of experience and had been through opening restaurants before and so forth. But this was our first as owners and um, that, that's the word that just continually comes to mind as humbling for me. And that was, you know, like every good independent restaurant raising money right until the end. Um, it was the challenge of hiring. It was the challenge of getting open and, and hitting the opening date. Um, it was just all very humbling. And, you know, you think you have all that ton of experience, but everyone, every uh, opening comes with its unique wrinkles. But, you know, I think we also and correct me if I'm wrong, Colin, but I think we all felt like it was a pretty smooth opening. Yeah, it was, it was a smooth opening. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, comparative to other restaurants I've opened, I mean, it, it, it was more exciting because it was our own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that adrenaline kind of pulled us through a lot further than, than maybe it would have otherwise. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was, it was definitely a, a good opening for sure. Yeah. So, so this, the, the quote or the mantra we're using today is humbling. Uh, <laughs> Colin, was yeah. there anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah. I mean, we always talk about it, which is, you know, work hard and be nice. And yeah, that's all we try and do. I love it. Awesome. So, yeah. man, I have no idea where to start. Uh, I, I have so many questions to ask. I'm like a, a kid in a, a candy factory right now. And uh, I guess let's just start from where we that transition was, where you were are, you were in the build-out phase. Um, things were going well. Everything was on track. Uh, what were some of the biggest challenges for the two of you during that build-out phase? Something that you didn't see coming that coming that maybe you wish you had the ability to see and you can share with our listeners. Well, I know, I know for me, one thing was challenging was um, in this day and age of technology and, and uh, computer power and so forth, you're, you're told how great the computer aided design tools are going to be. And you can walk through the space and you can walk through the kitchen. And I think, I, I think we all had the, the, the um, experience of really when you walk through that space, you, you begin to feel, what's going to work and what's not going to work. And and that's both on productivity and flow in the kitchen. Or I know for one instance was the, um, you know, what we call die walls, like the uh, part of the uh, front of house that actually was too tall and was not going to fit and work. Um, and so just those minor adjustments as you go through construction, but you know, we didn't, we, we have a really competent contractor we always use. So there were no real major curveballs. We, we, as Colin said, we've opened a few places. So, you know, we've, we've been through some of those kind of bumps in the road and knew what to expect. Um, so there was no real curveballs. But, but like any project, when it becomes fully realized, there are definitely some things that, that you know, you wish you had done differently or you wish you had made different choices on. So what do you think you did early on to set yourself up? Aside from just having a lot of great experience, uh, what things did you proactively do to, I guess, inhibit 
bad yeah. things happening. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we, we had a pretty hashed out timeline uh, of what we needed to know what to do by when. And uh, we also had a great, we've had many projects um, that we've done with this contractor. So we know how they operate. We know how competent they are. And we knew what our marching orders would be after every meeting, but it was, um, it was just a ton of, a ton of meetings and a ton of coordination. Yeah. I think we, um, we just surrounded ourselves by really smart people. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. We had a great team of, of everyone that we were working with that kind of came together and, yeah. you know, everyone, everyone knew what they had to do. And that was that. I mean, <laughs> for me, I think the, honestly, the most challenging part was how quickly it happens. Yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, you anticipate some delays here and there, and we really didn't have any. So all of a sudden it was like, oh, my God, we need to really start hiring people. Mm. and We need to really start training people. And it, it just became real very quickly. I want to yeah. get into that because I think that's uh, something that's very interesting to me because of certain things that are happening in the industry right now. Uh, what it was like coming from such a robust restaurant group to being on your own and not necessarily having that reputation to draw from. I think yeah. it's going to be interesting. But uh, you said one of the things you did uh, – well, let's just summarize real quick. Uh, you were really good about building out a timeline and having goals and hitting those goals and staying on track. And something that comes up all the time on the show is just surrounding yourself with incredible people. So that extends yeah. into be selective on who you go to, to, to do the build out. So you, you had a reputation with some people, you knew they're, they're good at what they do. Uh, were there any tools you're using to, to have that timeline? Did you, is there like an app that you were using or any technology that you're leveraging? <laughs> I, think, to I mean, stay I, don't, I, I don't know if we're the most cutting edge technology people or not, but, uh, and I don't think we are. I, I think it's as, as uh, cutting edge as Google drive, <laughs> you know, it's awesome. Uh, it's, said, it's architect, tool. You know, they, what was the uh, 3d software they were using Colin? Um, oh, I don't remember. Yeah. I can't remember the name of it, but if you can you know, think of it, let me know and I'll, I'll throw it in the show notes. The space. Yeah. Um, and did a really nice job to render the space with the the colors that we were going to have and the the correct lighting and so forth. But I, you know, I don't want to gloss over the team that Colin mentioned because, you know, so many times you think about opening a restaurant and you, obviously you're going to have a contractor who's going to build the space. But, you know, we really had a great team when it came to everything from some of the things that really matter to the guest. Ultimately, when you're once your restaurant's open you know, what's going to really impact the guest is, is the food, the temperature, the, the music, the lighting. And so we had specialists in each of those areas that really had, we had good rapport with and, and we certainly will use again as we hopefully expand. And um, it was each, each of those people bringing something to the table to make sure that what we actually planned out uh, was something that would ultimately be pleasing to the guest um, and also pleasing to the team that actually has to operate in it. So and, um, yeah. you went to specialists for not not just like a a build-out consultant, but you went to a lighting specialist, a temperature specialist. Uh, you guys really sought out some experts in all these different areas. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you you have your contractor, and their con in in our contractor has all the subs uh, subcontractors that they utilize: plumbing, electrical, etc. But, but what you got to realize is, you know, if you don't specify what the specialty lighting is or what the task lighting is, the general conditions, then you're going to get something you may not want. And mm -hmm. so we put a lot of effort into working with um, where we source the lighting from. We, they, they were very good about uh, working with us to get the right color and uh, the right, um, what's the word? Not jewels, but uh, what was uh, Lucy would use all the time, Colin? I'm, uh, it, I mean, it was, it was always the, Making sure that everything dimmed properly. Yeah. Making sure that 
you know, we, we've, we've just, we've gone through so many of the projects where little things like that, that seem so insignificant at the time, once you start operating, become the biggest headache where you're like, yeah. oh man, it's too bright in here. And you dim it a little bit lower and everything starts flickering or yeah. turns off. And yeah. it's like, you know, you just guarantee that that won't happen to us, please. Yeah. Especially in this day and age where, you know, you really want to be energy, uh, you know, conserve energy and you want to be conscientious of all that. You also want to take the, the advantage of the latest technology, but sometimes that, that really will just drop the ball. It'll, it'll just screw up when you, when you least want it to, you know, Friday on, at 7.30 or something like that during service. So, so we spent a lot of time specifying what LED lights would be. We didn't want too often the LED lights can be really bright and white and, and we wanted there to be warmth and, and, um, you know, more orange and yellow as opposed to white kind of color in the restaurant. We wanted there to be good sound distribution. So, you know, our sound, and, and when I mentioned these people, that's what's so great about the team. It wasn't, we didn't pay additional for sound consultants and lighting consultants. We don't have that budget, but we did source and buy through these people. So they offered as a value add, the kind of consultation, oh, that's cool. which, which we really benefited from. But I mean, a great example would be we actually ended up um, increasing the amount of musical speakers we put into the ceiling. And some might say, well, wait, that's going to make it louder. But what that really enabled us to do is actually keep the sound lower mm. in the restaurant because it's better distributed. Because yep. how many people complain about a noisy restaurant where you can't hear each other? Man, yeah. it just goes to prove that it's really all about the details and the littlest so things really make is, the yeah. difference. So, you know, and, and, you know, we all joke about one conversation and it was a multiple week kind of conversation that was ongoing, but it was all about, believe it or not, control systems. So, okay. you know, everybody thinks how romantic restaurants are and, oh, I want to run a restaurant one day because I go out to eat a lot and that's fun. So, Clearly, owning a restaurant is going to be fun. So, and the fact is, you have to be not just a restaurateur, but you have to be a contractor. You have to be mm-hmm. a you know a designer, an architect, and so forth. And so, we'd have these countless conversations about whether we needed to go with the Magic Eye or the Raw Two controller software system. It was this <laughs> ongoing back and forth, and that was the running joke of the Magic Eye. So, I'm um, all about giving credit where credit's due. So, why don't we yeah. give these folks a shout out? Who did you go to? And uh, so we can just give them a little plug. So why not help yeah, them out? Sure. Right? So we, we worked with an uh, audiovisual company and an IT company by the name of Concerted. And that's Concerted with a K. So Concerted.com and a great guy named Ed Webb, who we were put in touch with, with one of our um, investors. And then he put us in touch with his lighting company that is uh, out of Lynn, Massachusetts, uh, by the name of Lucia Lighting, and Lucy uh, is the owner of Lucia Lighting, and was just amazing to work with. And um, that obviously was in hand in hand with our architect and designer Aaron Weinert of Studio Draw out of Boston, Mass. And so it was really that kind of team that that worked so heavily to to get us to the point where we tried to create an environment that we thought was really pleasing and warm, um, you know, for the guest. And then back of the house, we we worked with Trimark. And, um, you know, Colin was very heavy instrumental in the design and the flow, but, you know, obviously we sourced a lot of stuff through them. And, and, um, so they were, they were more back in the house. As far as our overall contractor, we used Kafka construction, uh, out of Boston mass. Awesome. It's like, you know, we, yeah, I mentioned the control systems. I mean, we, we now have the ability, um, and, and one thing concerted did that I thought was unusual that a lot of people don't think about our contractors naturally defaulted towards using commercial hardware and commercial technology for a commercial building but concerted has more residential experience and they pushed heavily so our actual technology of how to manage the lighting and the dimmers 
and the speakers and the temperature and the thermostats, all of those things is actually residential technology, but it tends to be more, it was more advanced, believe it or not, than commercial. And it was also more user friendly because, you know, you have, now we have the ability at our host station to do control the lights, to control the shades, wow. the motorized shades, to control temperature. To You're cr- probably control sound, doing it through an app. Cameras. <laughs> so it's like the whole freaking Starship Enterprise right That's there crazy. at the host station. But it's all through apps on the iPhone. And did you list everything? Because I'm going I'm to make sure to link to these products and services in the show notes in case anybody's in the Boston area and they want yeah. to uh, lean on the resources you're sharing. But um Man, this is great. It's great stuff already. Uh, I kind of want to go back in time. I think we got a little bit ahead of ourselves because sure. uh, what you, what both of you did is what I, I preached on the show to set yourself up for success. Go join a team. Surround yourself with the most incredible people you can. Learn from them. Uh, allow them to lift you up and just... When you're ready, when you've learned all you think you can learn, that's when you can go out on your own and you know do what you do. Stay in your lane. Surround yourself with other passionate people who are strong where you're weak. And that's exactly what the three of you did. You all have your lane. You're all crushing it. Um, but I kind of want to find out what this transition was like for that person that's listening and they are with a restaurant group that's like the best in their community and they want to go out and do their own thing how did you go about approaching barbara lynch and saying hey you know we the three of us who are all leaders within your restaurant group we're going to go do our own thing how do you approach somebody and say we're all going uh and how do you do it in a way that's not disrespectful uh you know in doesn't necessarily hurt the other restaurant group any advice for going out on your own and doing it in a graceful way. Good, good question. And uh, uh, yeah, th- there's a lot of ways to answer that, but I, w- <laughs> I will start and say that, that actually uh, Colin departed before I did from, from the Grupo, and he did, he took the highest road possible and, and actually gave a year's notice. Wow. Right, Colin? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. I mean, and, for me, it was when leaving was, was, one of those things where I had talked a long time about it. I knew that I wanted to open my own restaurant. It wasn't something that I wanted to do with the Grupo. I just I needed to get under out from underneath Barbara's shadow if I ever had a chance to do anything on my own. Um, yeah, and you had an extra challenge part. of sharing a last yeah, name too. Exactly. <laughs> so knowing that, I, I I quickly felt like I was in the process while I was still working there, looking at spaces and trying to figure out how you do make that leap, which is a much longer one than you can ever imagine. Yeah. Uh, and in, in figuring that out, I was like, there's no way I can do this unless I leave. Like, unless I, I have to completely get my, my head into what it's going to take to open a restaurant as opposed to working most of my time at the Grupo and then doing a little bit of extra time on my own, you know, extra, uh, research on my own time. And, and it, it was the moment I left it, everything started to move forward a little bit quicker. And then, you know, I, I, I'd found this space and was really excited about it. Uh, and where, where it Bar is now, that's the space that you yeah. found then. Cool. Yeah. And I, I actually, I, I had partnered with a different partner, not Jefferson. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, we both looked at the space. I loved it. Uh, my partner thought it was too big and too big of a project. Um, and, when we sat down to kind of figure out, are we going to move forward with this? They said, Hey, if I walk by that space in five years and somebody's in there crushing it, they're like, it wouldn't bother me. And I was like, it would kill me. Oh, I, would, nice. I would hate that so much. So yeah. I said, I think we got to part ways. I think I'm going to continue with this project. And at the same time, Jeff happened to be free. 
And honestly, we were just like, Hey, let's grab some beers. Let's just sit down and talk. And it was not with the intention of working together again. It was just to catch up, but yeah, let's tap the brakes real quick. Cause let's let's tap the brakes that you mentioned something that I think warrants diving deeper into. You gave one year noticed. Why, why did you, why, why did you do that? I think in the position I was in and where the group I was at, I knew it was going to take minimum six months to get somebody into my position and get Barbara comfortable with them. I think that was the most important thing. Barbara and I had worked together for 14 years, something like that. So, I mean, it it was just so easy for me to do an event and she didn't have to worry about Mm -hmm. it or, you know, be able to say, Hey, I'm going to change this whole menu and you cool. That's fine. It's, it was, it, I needed to, not just get somebody to take my position, but make sure that they got to work together while I was still there to mm-hmm. make sure everything was nice and smooth. And I felt like that's how long it was going to take. So, yeah. And, and I was just going to say, and when Colin departed, I, that was when I was uh, president of the group. O, and, and, you know, he took, like I said, he took the real high road to do that. And, and, um, you know, you mentioned Eric briefly, but yeah, having, having the same last name as Barbara, but having no relationship, uh, familial wise, like, you know, it's, it was always a challenge whenever Colin would have something written about him. He definitely needed to, to be out on his own. And it was really, it bummed me out a lot knowing that he was leaving the Grupo because I wouldn't get the chance to work with him again if I was going to stay at the Grupo. And as he said, it just happened that I ended up departing the Grupo the same week that, that he and his partner actually uh, split ways. And so it's just funny how life works, you know? I just want to, you know, take a moment to just uh, commend Colin, Chef Colin, for. Uh, and just, you know, just pay tribute to somebody who actually takes the time to consider how their actions are going to affect other people and how that, yeah. I mean, that integrity, it comes, it comes back. It, it, this industry is too small. People talk, you, you got to take care of everyone you're touched or you're, you're connected with. Um, and was that running through your mind? Were you afraid of, you know, I mean, wh- why, why did you do it? I guess is the question. aside from knowing that it wasn't take at least a year to get somebody going, what, what were you trying to do to protect your name? It's the right thing to do. And I mean, as much as I'd like to say this was, you know, I did it for Barbara. I did it for the people that mm-hmm. I was working with. Awesome. I, I mean, it's it. like, you know, I had whatever we had 250 employees yeah. and you know, it's, it's, I'm not going to leave them hanging. It's not mm-hmm. their fault that I decided to try and do something. I love it. Um, I always say like, do whatever you can to respect the young people in the industry. Cause it's going to come back to bite mm-hmm. you in the ass. Like, Honestly, you you want to be a legend. Legends are built over fucking generations mm. of people. Like you got to make sure that you you pay respect to everyone who's new and young, and know that you were there too. And no matter how green they seem, you were just as green at one point. So yeah. it's like help them out. Yeah, and and we talk a lot about you know you you hear about these people who seemingly overnight showed up and and had success, but everybody you know seems to blur about the fact that you know here we are new restaurant owners, but there there's a lot of years that have been put in by Colin and us. Um, beforehand that, that there's no such thing really as an overnight success, or at least they're few and far between, even though everything seems that way. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, so I also want to talk about, uh, the location because you picked a location. Um, uh, well, let me just ask you why this location, what was it about this location? I guess, uh, Colin was the first one that found it. So mm-hmm. was there anything singing to you about this location that made you think that this is going to be the good spot? I mean, I, I've, I've lived in the South end for like 15 years. So it's, it's what feels like home to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the neighborhood. Uh, I love the fact that it's one of the few areas in Boston that truly feels like a neighborhood. Like you don't have to leave it to get anything. 
Um, it feels a little bit like areas of New York because of that. Um, and then I think the, the, what was really exciting was within the South end, there's very little new development happening because it's so densely populated and to see something like this kind of seemingly sprout up out of nowhere, everyone's like, where did this area come from? Uh, it was really exciting. And it was actually funny cause it was Jeff while he was at the Grupo who sent me an email cause they reached out yeah. to Barbara, I believe to see if they wanted to do a project here and was like, Hey, you should talk to them. So yeah. it kind of came full circle. So where, that was th- at this point, almost three years ago where this uh, yeah. location first came on your radar. And I was there a year and a half ago and it was still like, yeah. very much up and coming. And like, you could tell there was new yeah. construction all over the place. So you were really, you know, ahead of the curve seeing like, this is going to be an up and coming community and talked about, just talk about the value of, of moving, like being ahead of the curve and getting in, uh, you know, just the power of location in up and coming communities. Well, I'll start by saying that one of the nice parts about this area is, is we are like right on the corner of the South end. So as much as it's, it's new and up and coming. You still kind of have that anchor to the South end, which is nice. So it's a little more comforting. Yeah. Um, you're not on the frontier where it's, it's, I mean, just to give a little history, we're in the, the Northeast corner of Boston's South end, which in the fifties got bulldozed over. It was an established neighborhood that, that as everybody left the city and went to the suburbs, this part of the city was really desolate and they bulldozed it over and, and to build a tax base so the city could get revenue they put in massive warehouses. So where, where Bar Mitzana is used to be the parking lot of the old Boston Herald print factory and, and press room. And that's why it's called the ink block where we're located. Oh, awesome. So that whole part of the South end kind of became a black hole that nobody went to. Cause it was all, it was all, uh, you know, big scale industry and, you know, it just kind of got avoided like the plague. And so then, um, as, as things progressed, it became, the real estate really became more valuable because it's location than uh, the current business that was there. And that's when it started to flip. And now it's actually going back to what it used to be, which is residential and mixed use. And, and so I wanted to also add just as independent restaurateurs to be able to get a lease in a new construction area that will hopefully be a great location. You know, you can't, there's only so many projects you can, you can make a play on. And so that you, you got to kind of get up ahead of the curve of where that development may be. If you're going to have any deal that will make sense, because to go into the hot spot, that's not something we, you know, we would be able to normally do. Okay. So awesome advice on location. Uh, now let's talk about the capital. So how did you guys raise the capital to pull this thing off? Yeah. I don't, I, uh, begging. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, uh, first of all, we did say the key word for today's conversation was humbling, right? Yeah. Um, and truth be told, I think we all thought that it would be an easier process than it was, especially given our experience. But um, being first time owners, you know, you, you haven't necessarily proven yourself on your own. And so uh, I was I was humbled by by how uh, how challenging it was. So we, we did a pretty typical um, combination of debt and equity. We did. We took a construction loan out and then we also solicited investment from investors. Um, you know, one of the challenges we have in Boston, especially if you're going to be in a place like the South End and a new commercial development is um, the construction tends to be union union construction. And so if you want to be in that location, you have to have you have to pretty much use union construction. And so that tends to be about 40 percent higher uh, in cost construction costs than than maybe if you didn't do that. So, um, you know, we had to raise a pretty significant amount of money. And, and as um, 
as Colin said, I mean, it was, it was definitely begging. I mean, and like most restaurants, we went right up until we started construction before we got the last, you know, the last bit of money we had to raise. So how much of your reputation, how, how, how do you think your reputation helped you get those investors behind you? I mean, I, I feel like it was hard for even the, the three of you to do this, but you came from such a great restaurant group with such a great reputation and you still had trouble. What, what secrets do you think you can share with our listeners aside from get that reputation, get the experience to, to get that funding? How, how can we do it? Cast a wide net. Yeah. Like, honestly, you need to have a lot of resources out there because you just can't guarantee. I mean, we we took a big risk by signing a lease and we had to guarantee it. And we did all these things without without 100% having our funding. And, and I think that, you know, there are a couple outs we probably could have taken, but it was kind of all in. Like we had to get it. There was no choice. So, yeah. And, and that's something to think about, too, to, to the listeners, which is, you know, there is no linear direction for building a restaurant. I mean, at least in Boston, you know, you have to sign a lease, but then you can't really raise money unless you have a lease because you can't finish the business plan because you don't know how much your rent is, but you can't go and get a, get a uh, liquor license if you don't have a lease and it's just kind of all cyclical. And so it's very chicken and egg. And so instead what ends up happening is you have to push everything forward at the same time. And it basically all happens at the same time. Wow. But I think for me, you know, Colin's right. We had to cast a big net. And, you know, truth be told, I don't think anybody truly invests in restaurants to, to pay the bills or to pay the mortgage. I mean, they, they, it's, a, it's a very much a, you know, a fun investment for mm-hmm. people, but ultimately they still care about the numbers. So you have to have a compelling business plan. And, and those are kind of just what it takes to get to the table. But then ultimately what that person is doing is investing in, in you as people. Mm. And when I think we started really having success was when we started focusing more on investors and um and people that really truly knew us because even though nobody was going to invest in our reputation, you know, if we didn't know them, but we had this great reputation and they were impressed by it, they still weren't going to invest. And we also knew any meeting that, that took longer than an hour and went to a second meeting to continue to talk about the investment. Um, and they started really digging into the business plan and digging into the financials. They aren't, they're not going to invest. You're, you're just getting the tires kicked and, and you need to back away and you need to refocus on people who are going to invest in you as, as individuals. So cast a wide net, be a good person because it's all about that reputation and then go to yeah. those who know you. Uh, this whole idea of casting a wide net. I mean, I think I'm pretty sure I understand what you're saying is get as much you know, reach as possible, connect with as much people as possible. But how do you go about doing that? Like, How do you cast that wide net? I mean, we, we did it because of the connections we had through years of being in the industry, but I think it's, you know, some of the best experiences, like Jeff said, are some of the people that didn't invest. It's like, go out, practice your pitch yeah. all the time. Like, get in front of people. Even if it's somebody who's not going to invest, and get in front of people that don't know you and get in front of people that don't care about your business that much because they'll be able to pick apart and they'll find holes in it. they will be like, all right, I should really work on that. I should figure that part out. Yeah. yeah. And themes will emerge uh, of what people are going towards. What, um, you know, for us, uh, the location, even though it's, it, we're really bullish on the locations, it was foreign to a lot of people because like we said, it's being redeveloped. Um, you know, so that, that was, you, you start to hear what things people are honing in on and you can then start to, to develop your story. But Colin's right, you know, to, to get a few dry runs in, um, you know, when, when it's not all on the, you know, on the table that you're really, really needing this person, but maybe it's, it's uh, maybe somebody who's a reach, 
that might or may or may not invest and you're not counting on them, it's a good person to, uh, to meet with and get feedback on. And, and sometimes they can be even a little more, uh, frank and candid about what their feedback is. Awesome. Okay. So I want to talk about, uh, what it was like. One thing I'm really curious about is, you know, when you're working for a restaurant group like Barbara Lynch Grupo, she has such an incredible reputation in the industry. People will literally come to you. Great people will come to you because of that reputation. I'm sure she probably had people, even for her, it's probably tough, but at one point, I'm sure people were lining up to get a job with those restaurants because of what they were going to learn. Right. Um, so what's it like to come from that kind of culture where people are literally like lining up at your door to be a part of what you're doing? to going out on your own uh, in trying to attract onto yourself amazing people. I mean, am I, am I swinging and missing here? I'm making assumptions. Yeah. I don't want to assume. So one thing is, I mean, 14 years in the group, never had people lining up. Okay. It was always, I mean, it's more of a challenge now than it was 10 years ago for sure. Yep. But it was never like, I mean, we, it was, it was a weird thing. One of the guys who uh, ended up being the chef at number nine park for a long time, Patrick Campbell, okay. really awesome, talented, one of the funniest guys ever when he came and dropped off his resume, he said he almost didn't do it because he just assumed there weren't any jobs available. And it was like maddening. Cause I'm like, you mean there are people out there who are just passing up this opportunity? Cause they just I think don't think it's filled. Yeah. I'm like, this is crazy. So, I mean, I think it's always challenging. I don't think anybody has, has a really good handle on it mm-hmm. necessarily. Um, I think that, you know, with the group, probably had better opportunities getting management, involved because it did have such a good reputation for um, as far as education was concerned uh, and hospitality and food and and wine and service. Um, But getting cooks to work is still tough. Mm -hmm. And I think the initial push of trying to get people, you get a little more of a, a bump in, in resumes because it's a new restaurant. And I think people get excited about that, Mm -hmm. but you know, it was till the last minute that we got a full staff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and 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 it again, it's that theme word of the the theme of humbling. I mean, it's just now. That being said, I do think our reputations and our experience in the city went further on the hiring front than they did on the investment front. You know, this was our first restaurant, so investors might be a little hesitant on the on the hiring front. People knew what they were getting, and and to work for Chef Colin, they know what that's like in the kitchen, and that and that's a very strong reputation. To work with Heather for front of house people know what she's like and and that's a very strong reputation. So I think those did benefit us moving forward. But I, I think something to think about, you know, you, you hear about it in the tech world a lot about how fast companies grow, but just think about for what a year it was Colin, Heather and me, but in, in the span of two weeks, three weeks, we went from three employees, the three of us to 60. Wow. And you know, that's what you got to do because you can't float the payroll for 60 people for two months to train, you know, you got to do it all in sequence right out. You know, we opened June 1st. So guess what? We had 60 new employees, uh, May 19th, I think it was. And we had our managers on board the first week of May. I mean, that was it. So you, you suddenly go from being three to being 10 to being 60 in, in the span of three weeks. And that's, that's a mind screw. Cause that, that's, you know, you're, Colin wasn't focused on the menu. He wasn't focused on, uh, you know, I wasn't focused on setting up the books. We were all focused on just digesting that kind of growth and getting all those imp- uh, people ready to be hired, uh, policy manuals established, all that stuff that, that is the non-sexy stuff. But, but people don't realize when you open a restaurant, you're also starting a company. And that company needs to have all of your ducks in a row and things in place 
to be able to employ 60 people. And so that's everything from insurance policies to, um, you know, payroll to uh, how are you going to pay people with that don't have checking accounts? I mean, all that kind of stuff that is a restaurant tour. You got to, you got to figure out. So let's go through that process three to 60, right? Now you have 60 people on board and Jefferson, you put a lot of emphasis on being a servant leader in our first interview in sure. uh, your job as the owner, as the, the, director of operations, executive chef, whatever your title is, is to enable and empower the people uh, that you're serving, the people above you, because, you know, you flip that triangle upside down, you're serving everyone above you. Sure. What tools, what resources, what things were in place on that day, 60 people were starting that, that you provided to make sure they could do their job well? Not with all that experience you had, you know, knowing the tools you need, like what tools did you make sure you had in place? Not pots and pans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It didn't show up until like the oh, day man. before we opened. It was awful. That's crazy. Yeah, no, yeah, and despite all the timelines we had and, you know, oh, that'll be no problem. And then inevitably, it's always the case. But, you know, I think I think each element, back, front, um, you know, administration-wise, we, we did have things in place. I can't, you know, I, I'm a big believer, though, that servant leadership comes from from really strong culture. And I think that's really hard from day one to there's nothing you can fall back on as far as the history of what you how you guys have approached things. So mm-hmm. everything was new. That's true. You guys got to define your culture. So how was what was that process yeah. like? We're still doing it. I mean, it's a working <laughs> process, but, you know, we uh, and we're we're trying to move towards things like open book management and things we really believe strongly in. But at the same time, you, the first thing you got to really prioritize is making it a profitable venture. That, that, you know, and we're big believers that if we take care of our employees, the employees will take care of the guests. And if the guests are taken care of, that'll bring revenue in the door. And if revenue is coming in the door, we can take care of our investors. Mm-hmm. So all of that has to kind of happen to, to do that. So it starts with the employees. And that means when they showed up, they, they in my opinion, got a good exposure to what we are as people and what we believe in, but what their jobs are going to have to be in. You know, that was doing dry runs in the front of house for with Heather and her team. That was, um, you know, Colin, I'll let you talk a little bit more about how you guys approached back of the house. But it was it was making sure they knew what to do and um, and felt taken care of. So that, that ultimately is what we were trying to do. Okay. Especially being the first restaurant in the group. I think it's really important to understand that, like, this was like the first day of school in a new school for every kid yeah. there. Yeah, Everyone's walking in. Nobody knows each other. And I think that was what I tried to focus on was just like, you got to get to know everybody and understand how they're going to, you know, work together emotionally is really important because yeah. everyone's so different. And, you know, you got a lot of, a lot of green people and you get some hot shots that come in who think that, you know, oh, I know how to do this. And it's like, yeah, you do, but you don't know how to do it my way. Mm. And it, you know, it's, it's an interesting dichotomy of, of, kind of energies and emotions and everyone's excited. I always say you'll never forget the people you open a restaurant with, even if they're yeah. only there for the first two weeks and then they quit. That's a really good point. You're going to, you're going to remember them. Mm, you're absolutely. Gonna see them five years later and be like, dude, you remember that? Like when that stove exploded, it's like, whatever, you know? <laughs> um, and it's, I think that's the hard part is, is it's the two month period and the six month period after you've hired these people keeping them on track and excited because everyone can get through that adrenaline rush of the opening. That's fun. That's like, we did it. And all of a sudden you realize, Oh, now we have to do that every day for the rest of our lives. So how do you do that every day since then, since the day one, have you been showing up to motivate and keep that excitement going? 
do your best. I mean, you know, there are all those bad days. There are all those days where you walk in, and you're just tired and exhausted, and you're mm-hmm. like, God, I, I just don't, I just don't want to do this right now. I bet. But, but it's it's finding the it's finding something to focus on for me. Like finding one idea that I'm like, ah, oh, you know what? I just want to change this menu item, and I'm going to get excited about it. And I'll get the guys excited about it, and and we'll do it. It's it's about you know, I love the fact that everyone comes in and they just want it to be as busy as possible. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and that was, that was a key part of our hiring and and we didn't hit a hundred percent on it, which was, you you can tell right away if a person is, is, is into hospitality or not. And, and ultimately are they going to do what it takes for the guest uh, in the right moment, whether it's front or back. And I think over the course of our first few months, that was a process where you could see, you know, it kind of, there was some separation there between who, who really felt strongly about it and who didn't. And ultimately that's what you really want to focus on for the, for the restaurant, because, you know, again, taking care of your guests is, is ultimately what's going to help pay the bills and pay investors and pay yourself. So how did you, I guess, filter through, how did you weed out those who weren't right? And how did you recognize it? Take us through that process. But first we need to take a break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. Nobody likes doing paperwork. If you have a growing group of restaurants and find yourself wishing you could snap your fingers and have all of your invoices and AP instantly disappear from your plate, then you need to call Sorcery. Sorcery is used to make owning and operating a restaurant a breeze. Instead of dreading invoices, you'll be delighted to be synced with every vendor. With their new relationships, you can work on negotiating the best price to improve your margins. And Sorcery's biggest super power is that they watch the prices you pay across the kitchen from dry goods to proteins to produce and when citrus skyrockets you'll know to update your recipes before you end up kicking yourself at the end of the quarter to learn more head over to www.getsorcery.com or find the banner in the show notes if you mention restaurant unstoppable at checkout you'll get your first month free yep so back to the question how did you weed out those who weren't right for your your restaurant for for the kitchen side of it i mean there's nothing more important than listening to the cooks they're going to know before the chef knows who's strong and who's weak and who's faking it and who's actually you know got a good attitude and wants to be there you know they it, it sucks. As, as, as close as I am to my team, I know that there's nuances and innuendos that they're catching that I'm not. So I find it really important that, you know, if one person comes up and says, hey, this person's got to go, it's like, okay, take that with a grain of salt. But if two or three people come up and say, like, I'm really struggling because every time I have to work next to this person, like, it makes me not want my job here as much. Mm-hmm. You can say, all right, you got to cut ties sometimes. You can mm-hmm. say, like, that's it. Like, you're not, you're not jiving with the rest of the team. Yeah, and, and it's a poison apple. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, that's a good point. That it all it takes is one person to to bring down the team. Yeah. If that one person isn't jiving, if they're not playing well, like every moment you have that person on your team, you're moving in the wrong direction. Absolutely. Um, and if you don't cut that cancer out early, I yeah. mean, it's it's, even if you get rid of them later, all of a sudden it's too late. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. And and it reflects poorly. You know, when people see that uh, that, for lack of a better word, mediocrity being put up with then that also reflects poorly on us as the owners that, that we're not making the right decision. Sometimes it's a hard decision to make, but you, you got to do it. And it, because otherwise it, it, things are going to go bad. But I, you know, I think there's, there's the people aspect. And then there, we talked about the construction. I mean, it's a massive project for us. 
And we tried to think through all the details and I think we did a good job of that. But it, there were definitely things that bit us in the ass as we were, you know, open the first few weeks and you're really starting to pressure test both the kitchen and the front of house, you know, and those are all things that you're just never going to get it all perfect. So, you know, you but you, you mentioned it in the start of the uh, discussion, Eric, of just keep chopping wood kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> you just Every day you just got to come and, and work to improve it. I don't think that part was recorded, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) right, right, right. So, you know, but it's, it's where you just every day you get, you show up and, and not only do you have to do service, but you want to try to improve the the restaurant and the company in some small way every day and continue to move it in that direction. So the the original question was from three to 60, how did you make it all happen? What things did you put in place? We talked quickly about open book management, the power of culture, uh, you know, cutting the cancer up before it spreads, uh, doing those dry runs, getting to know everybody working with them and their emotions or some of the things that came up during this conversation. What about, the vision and mission and really getting people on board and pulling in the same direction. Did you have a clear mission of what you wanted to be and a vision of who you wanted to become in the beginning? And did you share that? I, I think we, we did have it and I'll be very frank to say, no, it was not on paper. Okay. I, I think the three of us kind of were in sync and, and represented that, but, but it wasn't until the um, kind of the dust settled and it was particularly this last January, February, once we had made it through the holidays, that we actually really did sit down. And as we started to focus on trying to transition the company to open book management, which is a, a work in progress, you know, the, we realized first we had to codify what is our, our mission and, and deciding and agreeing as partners upon what our overall vision is to, to really try to grow this company because we, we want it to be more than just one restaurant. There's a lot of benefits and there's a lot of enjoyment that we get out of more than just one concept. Okay. So you, so I want to make sure I heard you right, but you said between the three of you, there was kind of an un, unspoken, but known by example. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and, and live the mission that way. But okay. I think you could almost, you almost could have gone and, and asked the employees two months in and they would have had a better understanding of how to articulate what our mission was than we did. We were just living it mm-hmm. and yeah. trying to, you know, lead by example and hopefully they would understand that and follow it. But it wasn't when you sit down, it's almost like it's weird to sit down and talk about yourself. Yeah, it yeah. is. So that's no, what totally a mission is. You sit down and you're like, all right, who are we and what are we doing? No, I totally understand it. Cause I'm, I'm going through the same thing with restaurant stopple, but I'm one person, you know? And it's right. like, and I, I realized the importance of it, but like at some point you're going to grow. And it's like when you're still small is when, you know, you have less or fewer people kind of feeding into what that's going to be. So almost, it's almost easier to commit to something early. But like every day you're learning, you're getting new influences in your life and you're you're evolving constantly. So your vision and mission sometimes changes, too. So especially right. early on, it's so hard to commit to one thing. I get it. Um, yeah. Sorry, we're going to add something to that. I, I, I was just going to say um, no, that we, we can move forward. I, um, <laughs> I was just thinking through a little bit of just those first few months are really hard. I mean, we, I think we talked about it in the first conversation, Eric, that, that, you know, I described kind of running a restaurant as changing the tires on a car. Yeah. It's just, it's really difficult to make change while you have service every night, you know, cause you need that service every night to be spot on. And so the, the bigger kind of bigger picture stuff gets put on the back burner and it's yeah. hard to, to get to it. And yet you got to, if you're really going to grow your company and, and going to affect change. And so some of those things like, getting the mission written down and so forth that you just don't get to them because you know what the, uh, the lights actually are di- uh, flickering and the, the, uh, <laughs> the nine pans actually There's don't reality. fit in the drawers. Yeah. And, you know, we have guests coming in at four thirty. So what are we going to do? 
So you prioritize and you focus on service and all that other stuff gets put back. So mm. it's, it's just really hard to continually push your, your company and your business and your restaurant forward when, you know, when you have service every night. Awesome. So you've managed to stay in the black for the first year. Did I hear that correctly? No, we, we, we went into the, we became profitable last fall and we have been since. Um, so I, on our first fiscal year, I, we, we broke even. That's, that's huge. I feel like, so whenever I, I studying successful people, what I've noticed, the, the pattern, the trend I've noticed is that they start so small uh, because it's so easy to stay in the red or the, in the black when you're small, when you have your, mm-hmm. when your liabilities are as small as possible and your, your expenses are as small as possible, you know, starting with that, that 10, 15 seat restaurant and scaling up into something greater. You guys, you had that incredible experience. You opened a lot of restaurants. You, you, you got the practice, but you went, how many seats was the restaurant or is the restaurant? Yeah. We're 120 plus outside patio. So to start from, you know, to start with a 120 seat restaurant, that's a huge, that's a huge challenge. Anything. It's a huge, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, just, I don't know. I I think that was when Colin mentioned, you know, the first, um, plans that he had and, and there was a little bit of a difference on size. And I, I, I know I was of the opinion, I think Colin is too, but correct me if I'm wrong, but, but it's this notion that the same headaches and problems you have in a small restaurant, you have in your big ones. I mean, they just a little more amplified, but, but, um, you still have front house, back house, you still have, you know, percentages that you, you know, you need to be meeting as far as, uh, you know, cost of goods and so forth. So, you know, why not go big, you know, go big or go home. We might only get one chance at this. And, and so we had, we had had our share of smaller restaurants we operated in larger restaurants and the, and the headaches weren't that much different. Yeah. So the upside of a larger restaurant is, is in my mind, you know, worth the, worth the effort. I'm happy you went there. I've heard that quote before. I've heard that saying before, and I agree with it to an extent when people Mm. say, why not go big? I think if you're one owner, if you're one person and you're trying to go big, the thing is behind every great restaurant is a great person. And that person is responsible for influencing everyone else around them. So you have 60 employees, right? So imagine being one person trying to influence 60 employees and to, to, imprint to make an impact on all these people because they're diluting you in a sense because you have to raise them all up to your standard to your to your mm-hmm. your level but now when you have three people who are all owners now mm-hmm. you have three great people that are putting that same energy into these 60 people so essentially you're only opening a 30 seat restaurant or whatever you yeah, know what i'm right, saying because right. yeah. you get to like all draw your energy together so i mean i think the fact that you guys had the partnership you had the same culture because you're all coming from the same place you 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 know what i'm saying like I think mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why you were able to pull it off and stay, uh, you know, you, you are profitable today because of it. Uh, what else do you think contributed to that? Well, I, I, first of all, I think you nailed it. And I think it, it starts with a partnership. And, and I think we've been fortunate to have a, a really tight partnership that was on the same page the entire time and being able to have frank conversations because they're, you know, inevitably there are things you didn't plan for that are going to come up that are really challenging and you need to be able to, to hash that out. And, and I think you're right, Eric, I, I do think having a, a trio is way different than being a sole proprietor. I mean, that I, I don't even know how any of us would have managed this by ourselves. Oh man. I sure as hell don't know how to cook. I can, you know, it would have been a cereal mm-hmm. restaurant, but, um, uh, but you know, at the same time, I don't know how a chef owned restaurant and if, if they're the only ones, how they take care of some of the administrivia that, that is just required legally and, and to keep the wheels rolling or, or how to make sure guests are taken care of and, 
that it's a really compelling wine list. I mean, it's it's just a tall order to, to try to do all of that by yourself. Awesome. Colin, do you have any thoughts? I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, I think that we look at uh, the successful restaurants that I've seen, not just the ones I've worked at, but just in general, uh, kind of work on a tripod where you need really great service, you need really great food, and you need somebody who's watching the business. And without any one of those falls and the restaurant's just not going to be as successful. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's absolutely right. It's, it's, you hear so many restaurants run out of cash. So you got to take care of the finances, but what creates the cash, really compelling food, really compelling service. Mm -hmm. And all of those three have to be watched or else that tripod's fallen. Mm, Awesome. So how do you keep your eye on all these things? Do you have any checks and balances? Do you have systems and processes in place to make sure that they're staying on course? Is there anything you can share with us there? Or is it just showing up and doing the work? Yeah. I, I mean, we, we try to keep pace. We, we have a weekly manager meeting and in that manager meeting, we try to share the current state of finances um, and financials with the management team. Uh, we know where our cost of goods percentages could be based on, you know, the experiences we've had. We know that, you know, food cost needs to be 32% or lower based on the menu. Uh, you know, wine costs should be in the same neighborhood. Liquor cost, hopefully getting closer to 20%. Um, you know, we have struggled on the payroll side uh, because of the, the, added legislation. And so, you know, between payroll and and benefits, it should be somewhere around 35%. And we have always run higher than that. And that's been a challenge. So, Mm -hmm. you know, nobody's, you know, we talk about profitability and and one thing, you know, we have to spend a lot of time in educating people is just because you're profitable doesn't mean anybody's getting rich. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is still an extremely difficult business and um, you can be hit by, uh, snowstorms, you can be impacted by uh, power outages. Yeah, um, we talked about this last time yeah, too. Exactly. I mean, it is just really challenging. So, uh, and, you know, one thing we haven't talked about, but, you know, you also, every person who comes in your restaurant's a critic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in this day and age of Yelp and so forth. And that was one thing I did want to get across was I will tell you, you know, working in the Grupo, we, we were concerned about social media and we monitored it. But boy, when you're an owner, it's, uh, I, I will say those Yelp reviews and TripAdvisor reviews, you take a lot more personally. It's it's interesting. I bet, man. So I guess I can't believe we're already almost at an hour. Time goes by so fast. But a year and a half now uh, has passed, right? Since you opened almost a year and a half or a yeah, that's right. since yeah. June 1st was the opening day. So yep. what, what have we learned? What are the biggest lessons for you up to this point? Uh, I guess, yeah, answer that and then we'll move on. I think for me, um, and and this comes both from experience so far and from talking to a lot of other people in the industry, is is that a lot of what was considered kind of standard operations is changing. It's payroll is not the percentage that it used to be. It almost can't be because you got to stay competitive. I mean, it's it's so expensive to live in this city, and to expect somebody to do it on minimum wage is just insanity. Um, so I think that's been a big kind of not, uh, the, one of the bigger challenges, I guess, uh, is figuring out how, where you can find that the rest of that money, where you can start changing things to get, because yeah. somebody's got to pay for it. And it's like, it can't always just be the restaurant taking it on the chin because then we aren't going to have any more restaurants. So what do you think the solution is? I'm curious. I mean, there's definitely an issue. There's definitely a massive challenge in the industry today. Is there a solution? If there is one, what do you think it is? Well, I, I think one of the things we struggle with is, is the solution ultimately is 
when people when people vote for added benefits or or sick time or they support you know mandatory health care, then then the guest coming in needs to understand that that you know that that has to work its way through the system and all those benefits end up translating into higher prices, you know, and that that's something that that I think is always tough as a restaurateur to to raise your prices, but ultimately. As Eric said, or sorry, as uh, as Colin said, I mean, somebody's got to get paid, right? Mm-hmm. The, the money has to come from somewhere, yeah. so and nobody I mean, that in the business model stuff. dramatically. We uh, want we want to have people yeah. have more paid time off, and and yeah, like that's a positive thing on our side, and it's yeah. just trying to figure out how how do we get there. Yeah. We kind of joked, and not to make it political, but we joked that uh, you know once we opened the restaurant, we went from being Democrats to being Republican, which is not really true. But <laughs> so wait, how do you how do you that. how do you think we get there? I'm I'm curious. If you, do you have an opinion that you want to share? Maybe, I mean, Colin shared some thoughts. Do you have any um, thoughts? We on- implemented we implemented a three percent uh, kitchen administration fee in December. Was it? Jeff? Yeah, it was. Yep, yep. First week of December. First week of December, which. Which adds three percent to every check, um, and that goes directly to paying back of the house higher wages and better benefits. Um, and that was that was less about trying to make more money for the restaurant and more about trying to figure out a way to um, kind of close the wage gap. The, the wage gap between the front and the back of the house because the front of the house's wages are always tied to revenue, and if we raise prices, then they get away. Like everyone says that, like, why don't you just raise prices and pay the back of this one? I'm like, if we do that, then we're paying the front of the house more too. Yeah. Every time. Yep. So that's why the, the gaps become so drastic is mm-hmm. because inflation has not caught up with how much we're paying back of the house employees. Yeah. That's uh, right. So, so that was, that was a big, a big thing. And I think you're going to see more things like that. I, I, it's just, I mean, with, the legislation that's coming down the pike. I mean, if, if we go to $15 an hour for all employees, including tips, something's going to change. Yeah. 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 Um, And we we did, before we opened, we spent a lot of time talking about what Danny Meyer was doing in in New York and um, how various, various fees are being applied. And and so we opted to go with the 3%. It's, it's um, not been an easy, easy um, trip because, you know, that we've certainly gotten some negative feedback, but we've also got a lot of positive feedback too more from people who really understand the economics of restaurants of, of what, what, you know, Colin's team has to go through. I mean, to, to be paid 15 bucks an hour um, as a line cook or as a, as uh, somebody in the dish area, it, you know, you're not, how do you make ends meet in a, in a city as expensive as Boston or San yeah. Francisco? Or New York? You know, honestly, I think a lot of the issue comes with just educating the, the general public. Uh, I think right. our food system has been so destroyed over the past 50 to 60 years. Oh, yeah. We've gotten so far away from what food actually is cutting corners, making it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Right. We've conditioned the public to think that, you know, you're ripping them off when you charge what the value of something is to do it right. Yeah. To do it the and, right and way. I, and I think that's, I, I agree with that. And I think that's why fast casual or, you know, a lot of uh, folks in the fine dining for lack of a better word, fine dining world have, have gone kind of downstream to fast casual because you can still put out, you know, quality ingredients and quality food, but, but not without all the other elements that add the expense. And, yeah. and at the same time, you know, in this day and age of digital screens and, and attention deficit disorders and so forth, I think there's something to be said about actually breaking bread over a table that's, that's mm-hmm. been orchestrated both from the coursing 
to the service, to the wine and so forth, that, that, you know, that's still a necessary social requirement. I think Mm -hmm. that's, or, you know, social need because people need to talk more and and get noses out of screens and actually have a conversation with their fellow human beings. Yeah. And who's going to be responsible for making this change? I'm curious. Who's going to do it? Well, I don't think it's a change as much as uh, we need to stay the course of, of being a full-service restaurant. Mm-hmm. And, and at the same time, yeah, the model is really challenging. So things like this 3% kitchen admin fee that we've instituted, you know, I think those are the kind of things we're going to have to continue to do. But um, ultimately, you know, going out is probably going to be more expensive. And um, as far as leading the change, again, I think it's similar to what we talked about in our culture at the restaurant which is we're just going to continue to try to fight the good fight and, and set, set the example. Yeah. And I think that's the answer really at the end of the day, like it's up to us. We always say somebody has got to do something about this, but the truth is we have to do something about it. We need to share knowledge. We need to really, we, we need to educate the general public about this is what's wrong with our yeah. situation, our culture, the our culture, our, our societal culture, you know, like yeah. th- there needs to be change and it comes from educating and being a mentor and transforming the next generation, giving them the knowledge. And that's what you guys are doing. Um, yeah. you know, chef Colin, you, you talked to her earlier about being a mentor and really being there for the next generation and teaching these young guys, not just your, the people that you're, you know, employing, but the general public in teaching your guests like this is what needs to happen like don't just actually we you know the kitchen admin fee we mentioned you know by law we need to mention it on the menu because it's something that everybody's getting charged so that actually has provided the opportunity to have a lot of conversations sometimes they're heated but you know from a guest but but for our management to be able to explain to guests why we're charging that fee presents an opportunity to to have that conversation and provide that education Wow. Awesome. So we're, we're already over an hour and six minutes of recording time and man, time goes by so fast. Uh, this was such an organic, just free flowing conversation. I loved it. Uh, first time I've had a restaurant tour come back on the show to pick up where we left off. I th- hopefully this happens more often. Uh, we'll yeah. make my job is finding guests much easier. <laughs> there you go, Eric. Um, we should have a, a, a check in every year, right? Yeah, just I'm down, see, man. Uh, where did your Let's start go? a trend? Yeah. Let's start a trend. So thank you guys okay. so much. Uh, we're going to wrap up by calling somebody out. So who is somebody you guys admire? Somebody you think I should get on the show to be a future guest? Somebody else in the industry? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, so I, I've already recommended some of them to you that you've already done podcasts on. Um, it's a tough question. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Did you not know this one? I think Jeff had a heads up. You knew what was coming. Did I? I wish I did. <laughs> no, I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't I ask you last before. time you were on the show. Yeah. Yeah. I, but that's when I, uh, oh. I used my, uh, my right. recommendations. You, you get a pass. You should, I mean, you should talk to Asia may at moonshine one, five, two Asia may Asia may. All right. Um, Moonshine's a great neighborhood restaurant, Southie, and you know she's there every day. I've never seen somebody work so hard. Beautiful, it's, it's super yeah. impressive. Asia may look out. My initial reaction is it's hard to pick any single individual out because you know this. I, I just have the most respect for everybody in our industry. Oh, man. Anybody who decides to you know unlock the doors and put a sign over it and, and invite people in for for dinner, you know, has my utmost respect because this, this is the most difficult profession I've ever seen Absolutely. You know, between, you know, everything we've talked about today was under the guise of being a restaurateur, but we covered, you know, architecture, we covered design, we covered finance, accounting, fundraising, um, yeah. you know, and that's what you are as a restaurateur. None of it, none of it did we really talk about food 
for our beverage today. Mm-hmm. Did so it's kind of the goal of the podcast to, you, you know, I mean, if you're opening a restaurant for God's sakes, I hope you know how to cook. Uh, but can you do everything else? I mean, there's so much That's more right. you have to do and, and to get that information, we need to share it. Uh, if we yep. want, if we want that change in our culture to happen, if we want to influence society, we together need to share knowledge on what needs to happen and share what we know to be true to, to move this industry in the right direction. So, yeah, uh, I will, I will add at the end. I mean, we do have really strong, uh, the utmost respect for, uh, for operators of, uh, like Garrett Harker and, oh. uh, Shore Gregory, one of his partners over at Island Creek and Eastern standard, but you probably already talked to them. Oh yeah. All right, there you go, so. <laughs> I'm running into a problem. I got to slow down. I'm, That's right. I'm have to make it one episode a week instead of three. Um, well, this has been awesome guys. Uh, let the folks at home know, uh, how we can connect. If we want to come join your team, if we want to be a part of what you're doing, uh, are you hiring? Always. All right. Well, what's the best way to connect? Uh-huh. Uh, info at com. Beautiful. I'll have stop in at the restaurant. We, you know, we're always there. <laughs> I'll have the links in the show notes. This is episode 384. Head over to restaurant unstoppable.com slash 384. For Colin, Jeff, thank you guys so much uh, for taking the time to come back on the show. And you know, honestly, you guys reached out to me to come back on the show. And I just need to show right now my my gratitude, my appreciation for that. To, to know that you guys are being proactive and you, you want to contribute again is the biggest, uh, I guess, just what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, compliment. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah you're doing you so great much. stuff and, and we've been impressed by it. And at the same time, uh, we like talking about the industry. It's uh, I mean, we, we're dedicated to it. It's our profession. So it's, it's always fun to talk about it. Well, the resource wouldn't be possible without folks like you willing to take their time to share it to what we're doing here. And uh, just thank you so much. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Awesome episode today, and man, what a privilege to get Jefferson back on the show and to have Colin join us for the first time. But just the idea that some of my my, my guests are coming to me uh, to come back on the show to share their knowledge that just gets me so excited, guys. Uh, the the future of Restaurant Unstoppable. If we can get more people coming back, sharing their their recent experiences, what they know to work, what they know that doesn't work, and just. Oh, man, this thing could be really cool. Uh, so if you can think of somebody who you would like to get back on the show, we've had consultants come back on the show multiple times to share their areas of, of expertise, their knowledge. But this is the first time we had a past restaurant operator and owner come back on the show to share what's new, what's going on. So that's exciting to me. I'm, I'm really pumped that this this episode happened in a lot of great things came out of today's conversation. Uh, I love the idea of just leveraging the best uh, when you're opening a restaurant, looking at the littlest, finest details like lighting and sound and going to the experts. And, you know, it's probably a little more expensive, a lot more expensive uh, to to leverage these experts and get them on your team. But in a competitive market like Boston, you, you don't have second shots. You've got to get it right the first time and you need to turn over every rock and really look at the details. It's the details that make the difference in this industry. So great stuff there. And uh, if you are in the Boston area and you want to check out those links, I did link to them in the show notes. This is episode 334. Head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 384. I'll have the links right there. And uh, what else came out that was really great today is the whole idea of just character and integrity and taking care of people. Even when you're leaving a restaurant group, your 
responsibility to just take care of those you work with. One year notice. That's unheard of in any other industry. One year notice uh, by choice. Even, you know, just to do that out of the goodness of your heart. I mean, that gives you an example of what greatness looks like in this industry, guys. Uh, Greatness is just making it about everyone else but yourself and serving everyone else. And that's why that one year came out to serve uh, the, the leaders in that restaurant group. But more importantly, everyone else that was there to learn under chef Colin, uh, just the, I just want to, you know, commend him and just, you know, shine light on that one more time. Uh, it's a beautiful example of what it means to be just selfless. I love it. And, uh, the tight partnerships, uh, I'm so happy that Jefferson mentioned the the whole idea of, you know, if you're opening a restaurant, if you're running a restaurant, you're going to have to go through the same motions, whether it's 30 seats or 150 seats. But what they don't consider in that statement is, you have to influence either 60 people or 10 or five people. And you are going to be diluted when you need to influence 60 people. You can only impact so many people. But if you are going into a restaurant opening, that's 150 seats with two other partners and you can divide yourself up and you can have that, that you can each influence those who come underneath or fall into your lane who are under your umbrella. That makes you, that that makes the situation much more impactful and you can really be controlling your areas, your designated areas of expertise. So just the power of partnerships. I mean, a lot of people say that you should stay away from partners. I don't know if I necessarily, you know, uh, I guess subscribe to that way of thought. You need to have the right partners. You can't just partner with anybody. Make sure you find the right partners, good people, with integrity clearly that's the situation here the three of you guys found the right partners and it can be so powerful uh and i think another great piece of advice came that came up today is the whole idea of just removing the cancer when you're i think we've gotten to this this topic on you know when you first open a restaurant everything's fresh it's 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 exciting it's crazy it's 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 really a, a time you just never forget like colin pointed out but how do you keep that going how do you keep that that energy, that motivation going. And it's all about, you know, focusing on like the little things, the little moments, but also he mentioned removing the cancer. Uh, If one person is in there, who's not on board, who's, who's pulling everybody down, you got to get rid of them because they will, they will infect the entire team. So the way to do that, listen to your cooks, listen to the people that are on the floor every day. They'll tell you who's not drinking the Kool-Aid. They'll tell you who's not showing up like everybody else. So really go in, listen to your people and keep your ear to the ground and remove that cancer before it spreads. Beautiful stuff. I could talk on and on and on, uh, but man, uh, I got to let you guys do your thing. Uh, I want to try to keep these episodes (laughs) shorter, uh, but such a great conversation today. Like always, guys, please do reach out to me. If you can think of somebody I need to get on the show who I can make an example of, so somebody we can learn from together, shoot me an email, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Find me on social media, Eric Cacciatore. Eric Cacciatore on Instagram and Twitter and uh, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. I'm drawing blanks. 
Um, keep those five star reviews coming. Thank you so much. If you have left one, they helps validate this podcast so much and just spread the word guys. If you really want to pay me a compliment, share this podcast with anybody, you know, who's aspiring to do great things in the hospitality industry. Um, it's a melting pot of mentors. Uh, we need to share knowledge. We need to make this information uh, available to everyone and anyone who wants to do great things. So spread the word, please. That's the greatest compliment. And I'll shut up now. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.